today we want to continue in our series in Proverbs, and I'm real excited about where we're headed in the message today. So if you would, let's get your Bibles out, your phones, whatever you're looking at the Word of God in, and let's prepare to take a journey through the book of Proverbs. Everybody stand with me if you would. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, we come hungry for your Word today. We come, Father, hungry to hear what you have to say because whatever you have said was put in there to lead us so that our pathway would not be confusing. Father, whatever you've said in your word was written in there so that our pathway, God, would, would have joy. Father, you have put things in this word that, that uh, are hidden from the people who don't know you that help us, God, to, to have prosperity, help us to have peace, help us to have purpose, help us to have passion for the things that you have passion for. And when we are passionate about your thing, all the other things fall into place. And so, Father, today I thank you for what was written in the Proverbs. I thank you, God, for all of your encouragement to us that you watch over the things that we need to work in this life, but you also touch us in a way that transforms us from the inside out, that helps us to be prepared for the eternal life that you give us. So, Father, I pray that out of the passion of the eternal uh, God that is inside all of us, that we would open our eyes and ears to hear the things that you have in store for us today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way you lead us. I thank you for the way you guide us. And I thank you, God, for the encouragement that you give us. And all of God's people said, Amen. come on, let's give the Lord a praise offering like you mean it. Hallelujah. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 27, or, or uh, yeah, Proverbs 27. We're going to take a look at several scriptures today, and I'm going to give you a couple things that you need to think about and just kind of rest on one or two of those things today. It's impossible to preach through Proverbs uh, in the time frame that's always allotted on Sunday morning, but that doesn't mean that you can't read them, Okay. Every day of the month, that, that whatever the date is, that's the day you read the proverb. And I'm going to guarantee you, if you start allowing these precepts of the proverbs to sink down into your spirit, you're going to be a machine for God. You're going to be on fire for God because you're going to get to see that as these things come true, you'll want more. How many of you have found that out in your life as a believer? When you have found out the things in the, in the word that are true, and then you see them operate in your life, you want more and more and more. Amen? It's like a Big Mac. You know, I hear how everyone hates McDonald's, but they always talk about once a year, I love to have a Big Mac. Just give me one Big Mac a year. Hallelujah. The Word of God is good like that. It tastes good every day, and it's something that you want to do. Now, remember, we're talking about how the Word of God leads us in our life. And when we just apply it, the simplicity of the Proverbs to our life, uh, we, just, we get to avoid things that other people have to walk through. Amen? We get to know that whatever stage or place we are in life, there's an answer for that place or an answer for that stage. How many of you would uh, uh, agree with me today that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path? If you believe that, say amen. amen. 
Hallelujah. Well, then you should be excited about today's message. So in Proverbs 27, verse 23, this is what the, the writer says. The writer says this, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. Attend to your herds. Now, I don't know about you. I don't have in my 2.3 acres out there in Lancaster, Ohio, I don't have a flock or a herd. You know, I don't, I don't have goats. I don't have, there might be a day. My neighbor has all that stuff. As a matter of fact, they brought us some beef. Thank you guys for that. Their, their meat has been amazing from the cows that they raise. It's interesting because when they eat beef at their house, the kids ask which name of the cow that that beef came from. That's awesome, isn't it? Hallelujah. They're intimately involved in, in, in their cows. But the reality is, is this, is that we've all got things in our life that we need to attend to. We've all got things that are going on every day in our life. I don't care who you are, you've got things that need attention in your life. And the writer of Proverbs is saying this. Now remember, Solomon is the one who wrote the Proverbs, and he, had, he was rich beyond rich. But he had wisdom to say that I know that although we might be rich at this moment, that we might need to plan to take some of those riches and move them forward. We might need to protect those things that we have and not just indulge in them all. What did the Apostle Paul said? He said, I'm good whether I have nothing or whether I have everything. This is a principle that we need to learn in our lives because it helps us to enjoy the good times in the same way we enjoy the lean times. It helps us to learn from the lean times that when the times become good again, that we live in this cycle of knowing how to do things so that we're good all the time. Amen? See, life circumstances should not dictate the way you feel or see or think. What should dictate the, the way you do your life is what God has to say about how to do it. And this is what Solomon is teaching us in the Proverbs. Verse 24, he says, Riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. So the generations don't always get what the last one got. There might be something different that's in store for this particular generation. I believe with all my heart that this generation under 30 is going to bring in one of the greatest revivals and moves of God that we have ever seen. The enemy has worked over the last 40 years of education to work something inside of the hearts and minds of, 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 of our children that would move them away from the things of what God would have in store for them and make life about themselves. If you have survived that, then God's got an incredible plan for your life. And you need to realize that. You need to be like Mr. Dunbar's junior high class over there. And every one of them take notes of, of the message. So I want your notes to be as good as their notes are. For riches are not forever. Riches are not forever. Nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself, the herbs of the mountains are gathered in. Listen to this. The lambs will provide for your clothing. Now listen. The lambs will provide for your clothing and the goats uh, the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and for the nourishment of your maidservants. In other words, 
God not only gives us enough for what we need, but he also gives us enough of what we need to touch other people's lives. See, this is what the kingdom's all about. The kingdom is never about what you can have and hold. It's about what you get and what you get to give. Listen, one of the greatest things that you can learn in life is how to be a giver. Not just, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about you have something valuable to give to other people. It might be your smile. It might be your wisdom that you have over a certain area of life that you can share with other people that will help to transform them. It might be the gift of caring for someone when they're in the midst of, of, of a terrible circumstance in their life. You have something to give to other people. And if you're a believer and you've been in God long enough and you've been in his word, there is a wisdom that God has imparted to you and that wisdom needs to be given out from you so that people's lives can be touched. Listen, we need to be diligent to the state of our affairs. It's interesting because I believe that there's two states of our affairs. There's those affairs that we know are just the stuff that we do every day, the stuff that costs money, the, the places that we need to be, the commitments that we've made. Do you realize that God has that stuff in control for you? There's a second thing that I believe that our lives need, and that's an assurance of who we are spiritually. See, there's stuff in us that we need to know that we deal with this regular stuff in life and we get that stuff in order. Why? Because God's got something way more intrinsic for you than just dealing with life and its stuff. He's got a purpose for you to deal with things in the kingdom for him and his purposes. But if you're always tied up with the stuff that life has to bring you, then you never have any time to do the things that God has in store for you. And listen, that's the fun stuff. The stuff that God has in store for us, that's the exciting stuff. So the Proverbs teaches us that we need to get these things in life in order so that we can get the things in king of the kingdom going. In our lives. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now, the only way to get stuff dealt with in, in the, the stuff that life has for us to deal with is to know that God has a plan for that stuff. Okay? He has a plan for that stuff. I'm going to talk about seven things that you need to think about when you're planning your life in just a moment here, but the Bible says this in Matthew 7, 24, therefore, everyone say therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, okay, Jesus is saying, whoever hears these things that I am saying in the word, you know, there used to be a, a guy that would say, read the red and pray for the power. In other words, don't worry about the stuff in black. Only read the stuff in red because that's the important stuff that Jesus says. And if Jesus says something, it's important. It's not just a filler. It's not chicory and coffee. It's, it's something you really need. So he says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. It's not just enough to hear the word of God, but we've got to find ourselves in a place to where we learn how to activate it. See, that's the key to the word of God. 
It's not just reading this like a history book. It's reading this as if it's the outline for how your life is to be lived. And he says this, when a person hears the sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, it will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it what? It fell, and it was what? A, and great was its fall. Listen, there is a way for life to build you up when you're doing things in the flesh. But when that gets cut down, it's not just a fall, but it's a great fall. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke. Uh, Luke says this same thing, but he says it just a little differently. And I want you to be able to look at that. In Luke chapter 6, in verse 46, it, it goes to say something like this. And I want you to understand that he's saying this for you and me. Who's you and me? Those who have uh, asked Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior. Verse 46 says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? We come in here week after week, get excited about the worship. We lift our hands, we we say to God, you're our everything. Come release a holy fire. You know that outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we prayed for today would be to strengthen you so that that spirit who is called in John chapter 16, the spirit of truth, it says the Holy Spirit comes to guide you into what? All truth. So when we get a fresh outpouring of the spirit, then he comes into us and then he begins to guide us in the truth. But, but Jesus said, some of you call me Lord, but you never do anything that I tell you to do. There's nothing that's more draining than when you counsel people to do something God's way and they always revert back to the flesh and do it the way that they're accustomed to doing it. Do you realize that this is not, as, we're not always accustomed to do what God has called us to do. But the good news is, is that when we practice it enough, it becomes our custom. Verse 47, whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and it could not shake it. For it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without a foundation. Against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Listen, there is a way the Bible says that seems right to a man. But in its end it leads to a great fall. That proverb says death, but this talks about a great fall. See, God is bringing us to a place where he wants to stabilize who we are. 
He gives us this blueprint of stabilization. And when we begin to walk it out, it becomes easier and easier and easier because you find out how fulfilling life is when we do it through the one who created it. Amen? You know, we, we, we can learn a lot of things from the wisdom of man, but we can only find fulfillment in the one who created man. Now, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter has some great things to say about the state of our flocks, knowing the state of our flocks, and, and knowing that God has called us to live in the wisdom of how to do that. And it also says, but yet there's a spiritual side to us that we must attend to. Look at me, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's start at verse 2. Grace and peace be what? Multiplied to you. Why? Because God doesn't know how to add. There's always something more exponential about what God does. When you find a truth, it doesn't just change one thing. It operates in all things. Listen to me. When you find a truth, it doesn't just change one thing. It opens the door to other things. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now listen to verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that what? Pertain to life. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life. All of the stuff that we need to do. He's given us the power to not just walk in it, but to be successful in it. And godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Listen to verse 4. By which, we have been, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and what? Precious what? Promises. It's interesting that Peter writes in here about these precious promises we sang about, promises of God today. But he had, we've been given uh, to us exceedingly and great and precious promises that through these you may participate. Okay? You may be partakers. You know, there's only 25,000 people today in a stadium that seats 75,000 that are going to get to be a partaker of visualizing the Super Bowl in person. But there is not one of us in this room that by accepting Jesus Christ into our lives would be held back from being a partaker in everything that the kingdom of God has to offer us. There's something more that comes to the believers by which we have, he has given us uh, exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay, listen, we, 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 we've, we got to escape that corruption. If you want to join back into it, that's up to you. But God has said, I got good news for you. You get to escape the corruption. In verse 5, but also for this reason, giving all diligence. Now he's going to talk about the spiritual side of our walk. For this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, 
to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound in you, you will be neither what? Barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, God's word brings us into a place. It doesn't matter how long you've came to this place. There is a point when you instigate the word of God in your life that what once was barren can now come alive again because that's what God does. When God put the dirt together, and he, what did he do? He breathed life into Adam because the life that comes through the breath or the word of God always brings new life. And so when we get into this place of, of understanding and honoring him, we can understand that we will not be barren when we walk into the place where God has called us to. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. When we try to live out life in our flesh, we begin to forget the price that God paid for us to have what he ultimately wants us to have. He says that we lack these things because we're short-sighted, we're blind. You know, you can, you can read a lot of things and not get anything out of it. Amen? Or you can read a lot of things and walk out in the knowledge of them. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For So an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of God. Let's take a, a, a look and... And, and a, a, a thought behind something that I just want to add at this point. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. I want you to see what it looks like to trust God, to hear his voice, to apply that to your life, and begin to see what it does. In Genesis chapter 41, we see in the life of Joseph, he was confronted into the place to where the Pharaoh who was in charge of everything was having a dream. And in this dream, there uh, was no one that can interpret the, the fullness of this dream, but the interpretation of this dream had to come to pass because it was going to save an entire nation. Now, when you look at uh, verse 25... Uh, it says, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Interesting thing. God is giving a dream to a guy who doesn't know him, but he's going to place somebody in his pathway that does so that he can hear this dream and react to this dream and its interpretation out of the knowledge that he receives from heavenly places. When God begins to release something to us, it not only transforms who we are, but it should transform the life of other people. Now, uh, and, and so he explains to, to Pharaoh what this dream means, and you guys know the story here. It's talking about there's going to be a great famine in the land, but there's going to be a time when there's plenty. And what do we do? We make a plan. Proverbs 21, 
5 tells us that we need to make a plan. And when we plan to do things that God shows us to do, then we can be assured that God's going to lead us not only into the fulfillment of that plan, but it's going to transform other lives. So in verse 32, Joseph tells Pharaoh this. He says, oh, and the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it into pass. See, it wasn't just enough for Joseph to interpret the dream because that leaves Pharaoh in the place of saying, okay, now what do we do next? See, God doesn't just show us things and give, give us revelations for us to have something presented to us. He always comes along and then shows us how to deal with that. And when he shows us what to do and says in verse 33, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a, discern, a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. In verse 34, let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in uh, the seven plentiful years. Let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land shall what? Not perish during the famine. How many of you know that when we plan with the things that God has placed in our life, that it doesn't matter what comes along our path, when we're operating God's plan, he's going to provide for us even in the midst of a famine. But so often what we do in the good times is we absorb and, and devour all of the seed, the, the things that God has given us, and we have nothing to prepare for those times when we're not going to have that kind of income or, or money flowing in through our hands. We begin to take what we have and we operate with it uh, uh, like we've got to spend every dime of it now as if it's going to run away from us. We begin to do things in our life that run us to the edge of what we have. And the next thing we know, it's in the fruitfulness of those 20 hours of overtime that we work, that we uh, take those 20 hours of overtime and we live on those as well. And so when it comes time for no overtime, we're living on 60 hours a week pay, but we're only getting 40 there's a way that seems right to a man, but in its end, it leads to not having what you need. And see, Joseph, what is he doing here? What is God doing? God's giving a 14-year plan for the nation of Egypt, a 14-year plan. And he's telling them, in this time, when you have such a, a, a massive amount, build a reserve for these seven years that will take you through those times when you don't have enough. Listen, most times people's lack of income is not because there's a, a, not enough money. It's because of what they've chose to do with that money. Let me... Let me Step on your toes a little more here. 
It's not that God hasn't provided you enough. You haven't learned how to deal with what he's given you. You know, a wise man operating under the idea of biblical principles will take money off the top of what's given to him and never put it in the operation of his daily budget. What do I mean by that? Well, the first 10% you take off and you give to God because that's what he desires from you. I've provided all this money for you and I want you to first give me back 10% for the work that's going to happen. Now listen, if you understand that and you tithe next week, I don't get a raise. This isn't about me, this is about you. This is about learning for your own self that when you bring the tithe into the storehouse, he keeps the devourer out of your house. When God can trust you with the seed that he has provided for you and you multiply that seed into other places, he, he's, he's going to give you more. Some 30, 60, and 100 fold more. This isn't me making this up and this isn't me telling you to give so that that happens to you. It's a natural component. It's a natural outlier of what happens to you when you learn how to operate in the principles of God. So the first thing you do is you take off 10% of your income and you gladly give it to God. God loves a cheerful giver. The second thing you do is you take 10% and you pay you. See, so often we work 40 hours a week to give it to everybody else, but at the end of the week, then there's nothing for you. That's where credit cards come in. See, you've, you've ramped yourself up to the place to where every dime of what you have is going out somewhere, and if anything happens to you, you have to do this, or Apple Pay, or whatever you do. So... A wise man takes the next 10% and he pays himself. You set yourself up in a savings. Not only do you save for now, but you save for the future. You take a part of that and you give it to your savings account for all of those things that may occur. You know what might happen? You might be saving for a vacation. If you plan well enough, I ask people all the time, when's the last time you've taken a vacation? And the general answer is, is I haven't had a vacation in X amount of years. That's not good. That's not, that, that rates, I'm just going to tell you that's not good. Why is that? Because in planning, you plan a seed for something that brings hope. Every year of our marriage, we have had a vacation. And it might have been a vacation that was at, uh, uh, in, in seven things that were free, but we had a vacation. We planned it that way. And then we began to see we'd like to do these other things, so how can we do uh, these other things? We have to save for them. So what happens is, is when you uh, say, you want to go out for lunch today, and, and Tammy says, honey, that 30 bucks is where we save, and if we do that, we're going to devour our seed for, what's, for our future, so we go home and we whip out peanut butter and jelly, and Campbell's tomato bisque soup. It's delicious. You ought to try it. A little salty for those of you who have high blood pressure. But the idea is this. That when you learn how to die to your flesh, your flesh doesn't lead you into the enjoyment that God wants to give you. you got to learn how to pay yourself. 
Listen, there is something about holding on to something in the future and preparing for that that brings great encouragement. When we knew that we were going somewhere July 11th through the 18th, then we always had something to look forward to. See, if you don't have anything to look forward to, you're always living for the moment. And when you live for the moment, there's just nothing but stress and pressure in trying to manage every minute of every day. You got to have something to look forward to. Our kids would get excited about it. And when it came to the point where it was time to whip into Wendy's or go home and eat, we would share and encourage the girls to say, listen, in July, when we go on vacation, we'll eat out every night. But in order to do that, we have to save now. See, there's something that we have to learn, and it only comes through planning. When you begin to plan something supernatural begins to take place in your life. Listen to what happened in verse 37. So the advice that Joseph gave him was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man whom is the what? Spirit of God. Why do we need a fresh infilling of the Spirit of God? Because the Spirit of God that was in Joseph of that, at that time got noticed by Pharaoh. Why? Because he heard what God had to say. What? And then he took what God said and he implied it, or, or he, he carried it over into what, uh, 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 to the ears of Pharaoh and it saved an entire nation. An entire nation's life. 14 years were, were nestled in the, in the bowels of what God showed him. See, what Peter is saying is, is when you apply this to your life, everything that you need to run life and to accomplish your godliness is right in here. What happened to Joseph? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of of Egypt. What was Joseph's dream about? That he was ultimately going to be raised up and be second in charge. He had no clue at that time that he was going to be second in charge of an entire nation. But he kept doing the right thing over and over and over and over and over again. And then he got to a place to where God was going to reveal something to him that was going to bring him into the place of his destiny. Mm, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 24. I don't know about you, but that's good stuff right there. The place of your destiny is, is resting upon your obedience to the word. Wait a minute, maybe you're taking notes. The place of your destiny is resting on the place of your obedience to the word. This isn't flashy. I know I don't have smoke machines behind me. I get all that. But I'm going to tell you what, 
You, you won't care a thing about smoke and flash when you begin to see what the simplicity of the word does in your life. Okay, what, where, where did I want you to go? I just want to see if you're listening. Plus, I forgot. <laughs> Proverbs 24. Don't be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their heart devises violence and their lips of troublemaking. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is what? It's established. God wants to establish you. He wants to build you. He wants to make sure that you're standing on a firm foundation. He wants to do something great in you and through you. By knowledge, now here's what happens with your life. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all the precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in the multitude of counselors, there is what? Safety. Safety. See, God's given us not only a plan, but he's put people around us that help to activate the plan. I'm going to give you seven things. Write these down. And trust me, I'm not going to trick you and say how many of you will give me five minutes. Okay? Number one, you need to plan a budget right now today. If you don't have a budget that you're operating on, you need to plan to do a budget for your money so your focus can be on the kingdom. You need to plan a budget for your money so your focus can be on the kingdom. I'm telling you, there's nothing that weighs people down than their money. I forgot to tell you, when you budget, the other 80% is what you live on. If you're living on 100% of what you bring in right now, you're not budgeting properly. 10% to God, 10% to you. You know why people hate to go to work? Because they never pay themselves. They work 40 hours a week for Visa, for AEP, for Kroger, for overpaying your kids. Some of you give your kids way too much. Way too much. They need to learn how to find their own way. Okay? I didn't say cheat your kids. I said don't overcompensate your kids. 80% of your money is what you live on. When you're working that 100% of your money goes to someone else, no wonder you hate to go to work every Monday. But if you go to work on Monday knowing that you're going to pay yourself, it changes the perspective of how you go to work. You need a budget. You have to plan your money so you can focus on the kingdom. Next thing you need to do, you need to plan to work your prophetic destiny. You need to put into practice what you're going to do to fulfill what God has spoken over your life. That doesn't happen by osmosis. Now, you're in a church where the guys who stand at this pulpit deliberately every Sunday tell you you need to do something for God. And we're not going to quit that either. But there comes a point in time where you have to do that for yourself. The third thing you need to plan for is your retirement. You need to plan for your retirement. Why? 
because it shows a discipline. I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to say this. It shows a discipline that you can be trusted with more. You need to plan for your retirement. How many of you, we've heard this old adage that I don't believe, but we hear it all the time. You wait, Social Security's going to run out. You're not going to have any Social Security. If you plan properly, you don't have to depend on Social Security. It'll just be a part of what you have. Come on now. You're not going to be able to live on your Social Security anyway. Not at the way you're living now. That's just a fact. You're not going to be able to live on your Social Security the way you live now. So that means you better start supplementing it. Amen? And you need to do it now. You need to do it now. The fourth thing that you need to do is you need to form a plan to improve your marriage. There's nothing that bogs a person down than not knowing where their money's going and being in a relationship that sucks each other dry every week. Your relationship should be that thing that excites you, that builds you, that encourages you. And so you need to work a plan that you're, you, you're going to do something today to improve your marriage. The, the next thing, the fifth thing that you need to plan on is to, how to become a better disciple. And here's why. We talk about discipleship like it's the end all. No, it's just the part of your life that's being built so that you can become apostolic. What do I mean by that? That term sounds so official. I see guys putting it under their name all the time now. I'm Apostle Dwight Bennett. That makes me sound really good, doesn't it? You know what an apostle does? It says, you know what, Todd? This is what I see in you. Write this down. I see in you. Just write that down. I see in you. It's what an apostle does. He says, you know what I see in you? And then I reveal to him what I believe God's gifted him with. And then I do everything I can to help him be successful in the things that God has done for his life. And we need to learn more about God so we have more to offer to people to help them get to the next dimension in their life. See, we put discipleship in this place like we get a trophy for it. And I've probably been guilty of that at some point in, in, in my preaching as well. We become a disciple so we can teach other people how to do what God has gifted them to do. The sixth thing, you need to have a plan for your children's future. You know what? You need to be saying to them, hey, Megan, this is what I see in you. Hey, Abby, this is what I think God has in store for you. I'll never forget one day when we were just having these conversations of what do you want to be when you grow up? And Megan said, Daddy, I want to be a bus driver like Uncle Timmy. <laughs> yeah, I want to be a bus driver. And you know what? We could have looked at each other and said, a bus driver? Geez, really? You set such a low bar for yourself? What, so what are we doing, cracking on everybody who's a bus driver? You know what we said to Megan? Megan? I, when you become a bus driver, I want you to be the best 
bus driver that they've ever had. Where I want you to drive, what paying attention. Every time one of those kids come in the bus, I want you to say, Jesus loves you. I want you to, when it snows, you drive five miles an hour slower because you're supposed to get every one of those kids to school safely. See, what do you plant in your kids? D d destruction and discouragement? Or are you helping them to plan for their future? And the seventh thing is this. You need to plan to get somebody saved this year. Listen to me. Would you all stand with me? Have your paper with you. I want you to look at John chapter 4, verse 27 through 38. This is your homework. You need to plan to get someone saved this year. Okay? You need a plan to, to say, Lord, show me all of my friends who aren't saved and give me a plan to touch one of them at a time. Help me to, to, to do what needs to be done so that that person doesn't go to hell. Do you realize what's at stake here? This, what's not at stake is that you have to sacrifice a little bit of your time. That What's at stake here is they're going to spend the rest of their time in hell. And unless we begin to start making a plan to get people saved, then nothing's going to happen. We need to share the gospel. Isn't it interesting that what you're going to read in John chapter 4 is the occurrence of the woman at the well. And then Jesus went to somebody that nobody would talk to. He not only talked to them, he shared prophetically. He gave her insights that he knew what was going on in her life, but yet he was still there to be with her. And then what happened was is she came to know Christ, and then what happened, what did she do next? She went and told everybody. And so here's a woman who's not supposed to talk to anybody because of society at that time, talking to everybody about Jesus, and it became socially acceptable because what she was talking about was going to transform everyone else's existence. Jesus says this. He says, yeah, I know you tell me all about the harvest. We plant the seeds, and then four months later, we chase after it, and we bring it down. But what he says is, is that we don't have time to wait four months. What you're doing is you're procrastinating and you're losing the idea of how important it is for somebody to get saved. God wants you to deal with your personal life so that you can get your kingdom business in order. It's not enough to just say hallelujah, worship, listen, go home. No, you've got to take what you're getting and give it to somebody else. That's what the kingdom is all about. That's where the excitement comes. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the words that we read today. Doesn't matter what I said about them. It matters about what you say. And so, Father, I just pray, God, that this message would sink into people's hearts and that, Father, that they would be touched with the idea that there's so much that we need to get in order, but with you, it can come naturally. 
There's so much that our life is a part of, but with you, it can be done succinctly, and it can be done with favor, it can be done with passion, it can be done with purpose. And so, Father, I pray today that we would take these seven things that we need to plan for, and we would get serious about them and apply your word to get wise counsel, to do things that are going to honor you, so that when you give us a seed and we plant it, that we can be trusted with you giving us even more. And so, Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the Proverbs, for the wisdom that we obtain, and for the grace that you give us to walk them out. And, Father, today I just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Take that infilling of the spirit that you got today and go do something good with it. Amen? Amen.